Welcome back to the Vital Strategies Podcast, where entrepreneurs learn how to pay less tax, build wealth, and live a great life. Our guest today is a true authority when it comes to navigating the intricate world of taxes and entity structure. I'm thrilled to introduce you to Walt Dallas. Walt is a leading expert in developing entrepreneur tax strategies and helping business owners make the most of their financial opportunities. In today's interview, we're diving deep into the realm of taxes, deductions, and business growth. We'll be picking Walt's brain about legitimate business deductions that can save you money while staying firmly within the bounds of the law. But that's not all. We'll also be delving into the world of audit defense. We all know audits can be nerve wracking, but fear not as Walt is here to share his insights on how to be well prepared if the IRS were to come audit your return. And if that's not enough, Walt will walk us through innovative ways to utilize a business development corporation to your advantage. The ideal profile for utilizing his strategy while maintaining a strong ethical footing. So whether you're a business owner looking to optimize your tax strategy, an aspiring entrepreneur seeking the right corporate structure, or simply someone who's intrigued to learn more about the world of paying less tax, you're in for a fantastic conversation. I'm your host, Patrick Lonergan, and without further ado, let's dive in with Walt Dallas. Walt, I appreciate you joining us today. I'm excited to get into how business owners can use a business development corporation to, I'll say, run their operation more efficiently, save on some tax, and uh, really take advantage of just using some of the strategies that you've got to uh, save more money, have more free time, that type of thing. So, Walt, if it's okay, I'm just going to outline. We've worked together on on some clients. Uh, it's been it's been good. But can you give us a little bit of your background in regards to why you're qualified to to talk on these topics? Sure, Ken Patrick. I've enjoyed working with your group. Your guys are very pro proactional. You get ahead of things and uh, you you head off problems before they they start. So you guys have been a pleasure to work with. I uh, have an accounting degree from Mississippi State University, and then after that, I went to law school at Ole Miss. And as you know, Ole Miss and State are bitter rivals, mm-hmm. and so I was able to go to Ole Miss and serve. I didn't get a law degree. And then after that, I went to Southern Methodist University for my master's of tax. Mm-hmm. Then I worked for a big eight accounting firm back then when, then when there uh, were eight of them, mm-hmm. uh, Tush Ross. And I worked in Dallas, Texas and uh, loved being there, but wanted to come back home. So I came home to Mississippi and uh, started practicing out of Mississippi. And uh, in the last 10 years or so, developed a national practice where we have clients all over the country from uh, East Coast to West Coast, uh, just about every state. Hadn't been to Hawaii yet on, on a client, but um, that may happen someday. Back in the good old days, we used to actually go see the clients and we'd go shake their hands and things like that. But now with all the Zoom, the video, it, it's become online. It's become very efficient, however, for clients and they're getting a better deal for the money they're spending. And it's a lot more efficient for everybody. I did very large estate plans. That was my forte for many, many years in the estate planning arena. And then, um, we were doing the family limited partnerships uh, way mm-hmm. back when it was exciting to do and it was new and we had discounts were unknowns and we didn't know if, if the discount was going to be zero or 50%. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, Industry has matured. But the point is, every family limited partnership we did back then, because we did, believe it or not, we didn't have LLCs. So we did family mm-hmm. limited partnerships and they always had to have a, a general partner. And the general partner was 100% liable for all the liabilities of the partnership. So 
we would uh, make a, a corporation uh, the general partner. Yep. And the way the structure worked, it needed to be a C corporation because many times charities would be owning a part of that C corporation. And thus, we, it couldn't be an S, it could be, an, could not be an S corporation, of course. Right. And so uh, with that, we developed uh, some strategies uh, out of a group. I don't actually have Dallas, Texas. And one of the guys came up with an idea and said, we've got a C corporation and C corporations can take deductions that other flow through deductions uh, the flow through entities can't take mm-hmm. why don't we do some things over there and so the first thing we did we did a little uh, section 105 medical expense plan for the family members we um, had to go through the affiliated service group rules and the control group rules and make sure mm-hmm. we complied with that and we had some some really good templates to to do that and we've developed uh, a, a specific template that uh, meets those parameters every time and we've had uh, people go through audit we've never had a problem with the affiliated service group rules or the affiliated service group rules uh, yep. or the control group rules um yep. so those kind of things we did over there will um of course a medical expense plan has been very popular yeah in, in that old scenario the partnership would end up paying a marketing fee over to the business development company mm-hmm. and taking a deduction back then we had to worry about does what's the um sometimes the operating company was just marketable security so we had problems such as was that a valid business uh could mm-hmm. was the deduction going to be valid but of course in most of our scenarios now the operating company is a living breathing uh working uh um, uh, S corporation, and that's usually yeah. the way that works. And so, once the funds, we get a deduction when the funds get over there. This now, this last year was really exciting. We had a lot of people form their C corporations at the end of the year mm-hmm. and make some uh, prepayments into it. We had uh, very large prepayments. I yep. think one guy was six hundred, one guy was two hundred, yep. and that created a big, big deduction for twenty twenty two. And of course, the funds are going to be need- needing to be utilized in twenty twenty three, and and through the end of November, because that was a normal fiscal year in that we would use. Yeah, so, yeah um, no, that's that's fantastic because I, I think we worked together on one of those clients that uh, made the deduction before absolutely. year end. Can I back up for a second? Because I think this is a is an important distinction. You talked about control group and uh, affiliated services group, I believe, and and so yes. I, I think those two things matter because. Like what I can't do is own my business and go fire up a new C corp and just do all this stuff you're talking about, right? Because that's correct. Can you just give us a little insight into what those those two terms mean and why we have to work around that? Sure can, Patrick. The affiliated service group rules are mostly in the context of qualified retirement plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they say that, uh, if you've got a, um, a, a, one organization providing services to another organization, both, uh, of the entities will be combined together as one organization and the retirement benefits and the qualified plans are going to be, have to be available for the employees of both entities. Mm-hmm. The, 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 uh, drafters of that didn't want someone just forming a little corporation over here and doing services for another corporation to be able to do their own qualified retirement plan. Mostly it sprung up in the medical services. You can believe Mm -hmm. the doctors were doing that when they would work for um, like a clinic and then they would, uh, the doctors would want to form their own little corporation and provide Mm -hmm. services. And then, of course, the only employees of that service providing corporation was the doctor. So the doctor got all the benefits and didn't have to benefit the rank and file employees. So that was, that's where that is most popular. It also comes into play when you talk about employee benefit plans and what you can do for employees of one company versus another. If uh, you're providing services to one company to another, you can't do certain plans, uh, employee benefit plans uh, for yep. just one company. 
And then the, uh, so that's mostly based on services, the services analysis. The, uh, interestingly, the affiliated service group rules ultimately come back to stock ownership too, mm-hmm. which is the main ingredient for the control group rules. The control group rules look at the stock ownership and determine if, if you have too much common stock ownership, then those entities are going to be aggregated together. Generally, the, uh, a person's uh, ancestors and descendants and, and, um, uh, are going to be aggregated and, and, and treated as, and spouse are going to be treated as that person owned all that stock and aggregated together. And then you determine whether you, you generally the test is going to be, does one person have over 50% of the stock of, a, mm-hmm. of two companies? And if so, it'll be aggregated together. It's more complicated than that, but that's the general rule where you start every time. Sure. Very good. Thank you. Because I, I think that matters. What I want to be careful of is, uh, you know, listeners hearing this and going, oh, cool, I'm going to go start my own business development corp and then not know what they're doing and they end up in trouble to some level. So uh, another thing you mentioned that I, I want to touch base on is just doing things by the book and not having any issues with audit. Can you talk through if it's okay, what a mm-hmm. what a legitimate business deduction is, how that's sort of defined and yeah, we'll we'll just take it from there. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, Patrick, that's good because our documentation is extremely good. We've never been through an audit where the IRS looked at our documentation and said it's, it is insufficient. Our our, uh, our employee benefit plans inside the business development company are are drafted on, on in accordance with the with the uh, the code and this in this the treasury regs and things like mm-hmm. that. And so, um, those are, are, are well done. Where we, where we have issues would be when the operating company pays over the marketing fee to the business development company. Is that a reasonable amount? Mm-hmm. And you kind of back into that because you look at the activities of the employees of the business development company and you look at the amount of uh, time and effort that they're putting in the business development company. And those have to be aggregated and then determined if those are justifiable. One of the projects we worked on last year together was uh, there were a company with a large amount of um, uh, fees for uh, advertising, advertising fees. And so we moved those from the operating company over to the business development company for a number of business purposes, uh, such as easy, it's easier to manage. You know, it's you can tell what what marketing expenses are being paid out the business development company as opposed to a operating company with a, a gross income of 25 million bucks. Uh, it's, it's a lot easier to do that. You're also segregating your liabilities in the business development company. So there, there are a number of other reasons to use that C corporation because you can't just do a company without a, a valid business purpose. Um, the, there's, that was codified a number of years and you need a valid business purpose and it needs to be done differently afterwards as a contrasted to before. And so we, we have those written into our, our plans. So our companies always have a valid business purpose. And if there's not a valid business purpose, we don't participate in those. Yeah. We're just not going to do those. So, yeah. uh, and the fee over into the business development company has to be a, a section 162 deduction, meaning it has to be ordinary necessary. Mm-hmm. Ordinary means it has to be for, has to be for fair market value. Necessary, uh, needs to be, it needs to be helpful. That's what the mm-hmm. Supreme Court told us that standard is. So it's a fairly low standard of, yep. of deductibility. And the, the main issue would be, uh, a reasonable. Is that a reasonable fee going into the business development company? And many, and on all of our plans, we'll get an independent determination of what are those reasonable expenses, uh, for a business development company to take those on, take on those activities. Yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. And 
I don't know if you could have a minute to talk about uh, like audit defense. I know that's a, a piece of what you do. And when we think about the the tax planning we do for clients and how important that is when you, you start looking at uh, putting these strategies together, because we've seen big firms like the Alliant Group have, you know, the FBI shows up and <laughs> starts rating uh, Firms and you're like, wow, okay, this is this is different. You know, does that mean something for me as a as a client of one of those big firms? If you know they start looking closely at these strategies, so can you can you talk a little bit about audit defense and and how mm-hmm. that works? Yeah, sure can. Um, a lot of clients like to do tax planning, uh, but they want it to be within reasonable bounds and, def- and mm-hmm. defensible. And they also are, are worried about um, there's a no-win situation, a no-win scenario that comes up. Uh, they get an art letter, and so they're going, well, okay, if I'm doing everything right, I've got to pay um, an accountant, tax attorney to represent mm-hmm. me in this audit. And even if I win, I'm going to be out twenty grand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I you know, and so is it worth, you know, rolling the dice? And, and, and even if I'm right and everything I'm doing is correct and I still have to pay those fees. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we developed a plan that will uh, review their, their activities, do a, do, a, uh, do a meeting at the beginning of the year and the meeting at the end of the year. And we'll make sure that the client's following those rules to make sure we're in compliance because mm-hmm. if, if, if we're comfortable that the client's in compliance, we're, we're comfortable defending the lawsuit. Yeah. If, 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 if the client's kind of cowboying it, mm-hmm. uh, you just kind of say, well, right. you know, I'll just deduct it and I'll take a shot. And they're not going to meet with us and we won't do that because we want to make sure everything's in place. We've actually engaged a firm recently for, um, up the substantiation even more. Uh, and that's been a, a really good experience. And we're requiring that on all of our new clients going forward. He, very inexpensive, but, and sure. he does the um, tax returns and things like that. And he's been doing it for about 15 years. So we've got someone that really, really does a good job in that area because that's, um, the, the documentation has always been the hard part. You know, how do you keep the appropriate records? And so it, it's funny. We we were talking to that use my favorite whipping boys, the CPAs, and we were uh, talking with them. And they said, "Well, we like what you're doing." You know, we explained what we're doing, and they said, "But clients will never keep these records." And then we said, "Yeah, that's, that's a problem. How, how are your clients keeping the records? They do terrible jobs. They just do lousy. That we have to get them all the time." And we said, um, "Well, have you ever provided them a system for keeping the records?" And they uh, and they were about. Six on round table, and they all kind of head all kind of went down. They said, "No, we haven't." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. we um, uh, developed a system over the years to create the record keeping, and uh, every year it got a little bit better and better and better. And finally, this new group that I brought in, I think, it does better than anybody else. So the documentation yep. is where the clients get hung up because I can read the code, I can be in compliance with clients with code all day. Mm-hmm. But if we don't keep the records, Patrick, we just did. Yeah, and, and that's so true. And we see that across the board. You know, if a client's books are very clean, they've been doing everything by the book. It just makes an audit so much easier when the IRS is looking at things and you can just hand them a nice package of information and they go, okay, this this person's got it together versus no books, a box full of receipts <laughs> that are partially there. You know, yeah. and it gets really messy really quick when it's uh, when it's not organized. So we are a hundred percent on board with getting everybody because it, it just helps clients run the business more effectively too. When they've got good records, they can make good decisions versus being, you know, trying to get it done twelve months after the fact uh, to get their tax return filed. It just just doesn't work. So that's good to hear. All right, so. 
Well, we touched a little bit uh, before I sort of backed you up on, uh, you were talking about some of the strategies that we can use inside of the Business Development Corp. Can you walk us through some of the most common strategies you have in there, what the benefits are from a both personal perspective and tax benefit? Can we outline that for the listeners? Yeah, sure can. Um, one of the things that we noticed is that um, a lot of people like to do the tax plans for the income tax benefits. But as I mentioned, we have to have a proper business purpose for the business development company and the C corporation, you know, which is our C corporation to exist. And so we um, noticed that we've been, well, we've been harping on marketing for years and years. You know, clients need to be marketing. They need to be spending money on marketing. We, you know, there's, there's some categories like anesthesiology just really have a hard time spending money on marketing because they have they're captured by you know hospitals and, and, yep. and patients and, and places like that and so um as we harped on that we started getting into some imagine that a lawyer started getting into marketing uh we're one of the worst ones at it um, yep. our plaintiff's brethren are good at it <laughs> i've mm-hmm. got a new client that yeah. spends 600 grand a year on marketing that's why he's making so much money mm-hmm. but we um, have seen the people that spend money in marketing, their top line grows grows and grows and grows year after year. As we do our annual reviews, we'll go, we'll go back and look at a pattern of, hey, what are you spending for, for um, marketing and what are your top line, what's your top line doing? And we found that the top line uh, was going up. And so we had a challenge from an auditor of the IRS uh, for a particular case. And uh, we said, this business development company has helped this guy make more money. And the guy mm-hmm. just said, nah. And they said, well, we can show you. We can show you his, um, for the last five years, his advertising expenses has gone up and up and up. This is the pattern. And look at his top line. Sure enough, top line, follow the bottom line, and the gal's making more money. Even, you know, of course, on a gross method. And, and then as they make that extra dollar, you know, the expenses of overhead related to that extra dollar or nothing. So mm-hmm. the net goes way up too. Yeah. So that's been a be- really cool thing to see. And that's just not one client. That is one client in that particular audit, but it, it happens uh, more and more, you know, for, for particular clients that really believe in the marketing and, and, and run their business development company correct correctly. It's, it's been a great benefit. You mentioned the ownership of the stock, and we, of course, we use outside shareholders to make sure we comply with the control group rules. And the guys that utilize the outside shareholders and really take advantage of those guys for their marketing ideas, there's a lot of benefit for that, too. One thing that the Supreme Court has said is it is no problem to utilize the tax code to your benefit and pay the least amount of tax possible. So do you find a lot of clients are doing things before they engage with you that they could be taking tax deduction for that they're not? Just about every client I've ever looked at is not taking advantage of the tax deductions that they could have. I think, you know, I've been doing this a long time and Mm -hmm. I've had one or two clients that have come in that that are doing everything that we have on our lists. Kudos to them, but it's it's a rare deal. One of the hard things is, is fitting the tax plans into a business and so it works together so it actually the structure works and that's one of the things that we do real well and so we'll just go through and and uh, we i mean our, our our process is pretty simple we'll take a look at the tax returns and then we have a questionnaire we'll send to clients and they'll kind of tell us what they're spending on those various categories and then we'll figure out what sort of items fit them um, yep. and sometimes we we look at the information we get it back it's like you don't fit in our shoebox, you know, you, you, our box of sand and it just, mm-hmm. you, we can't help you. You know, you yep. uh, can go do other things, yeah. but that's, that is a bit rare too, but it's, I say one out of 10 clients, mm-hmm. the potential clients that come through, we'll yeah. say, sorry, we can't help you. Just don't 
fit what sure. we do. The one, one of the categories that don't fit are W two employees. You know, mm-hmm. they're really just out of luck. They can't, right. they can't get deductions. It's the, the single business owner that are great clients for us because the single business owner can make it happen and control the way uh, he gets paid. And also, if he's got a family, we can utilize the family for some additional yeah. benefits on that. You're touching on a great point. Who's an ideal client for your strategy? What 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 do they look like from a net income through the business and and you already mentioned, you know, a single owner. Is it sort of disqualify somebody if there's two partners in a business? Could we set up two business development companies? Is that an option? Yeah. Can you can you just talk mm-hmm. through a few of those those things for us? Right. Um, generally, it's a one-owner business, has a repeatable mm-hmm. income stream, makes about um, 400 uh, of net income, of taxable income or up. And um, that that's really a, a great client. Um, we have um, uh, some plaintiff's attorneys in our database, in our client base, but sometimes their income just kind of goes way up and way down. They, that gets right. to be problematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, in, in, <laughs> they usually come in right after they've had the big hit and we try to fix it, you know, with, with something because, you know, it's, it's going to happen or they're going bankrupt, mm-hmm. um, someday. But usually, um, um, a lot of, uh, we, we had a lot of, um, dentists, a lot of ophthalmologists. Mm-hmm. Uh, periodontists, uh, people like that, they make really good income and, and their, um, overhead's fairly modest. Um, a lot of ODs for a while. Some mm-hmm. of the ODs don't quite make the $400,000, but there are some. Turning to your question about partners, mm-hmm. if we can set everything up from scratch, the tax plan will work. We normally will set up everything in the brand company as a partnership and then every individual doctor will have his or her own S corporation. And we've done that successfully. We have one group that's probably 25 doctors now and some, some can elect to participate and some elect not to participate. So they don't affect anybody where we run into trouble is if we have an S corporation owned by more than one person. Uh, Sometimes the, the uh, owners are close and they get along well and, and you can work with that. But once you get above about, Two um, two S corporation owners, it gets to be rather difficult because it's hard to make everything fair and, and yet conform to the tax law. Because you know sure. you are limited with an S corporation because you got to pay out all the profits based upon the stock ownership. Yeah, that's great. So one of the things that you were talking about was a control group, and a lot of times that applies to retirement plans. So can mm-hmm. you talk through what kind of retirement plans fit well into the business development corp? Yeah, um, many times when, when a client comes into our office, they've got an S corporation. The client has an S corporation. They have employees and they'll have a retirement plan over in the S corporation. Mm-hmm. And the client's happy with that in that it gives the employees an opportunity to participate. Sometimes they're not happy with it because they don't like spending all that money on their employees. They'd rather spend it on themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's two ways to do that. The most popular way has been using the non-qualified deferred compensation plan mm-hmm. uh, inside the business development company. And the, and the reason that works uh, attractively is the the client can do it just for the client. The client doesn't have to do it for anybody else. There are no annual filings required with the IRS. It's simply included as a part of the uh, business development company. Mm-hmm. Uh, administration fees are low. They're 500 bucks a year. So it's real simple, yeah. really expensive. Client will understand it. The thing that some clients don't like is that um, the the best vehicle to use inside the business development companies, the first 
comp plan will be a life insurance policy. And we rely upon you guys, Patrick, to design those so the, the death benefit is low and the, the, the cash value portion is very high. And of course, life yep. insurance policies have a lot of good investment options yep. now. Yep. Uh, some of them have that, um, won't, you know, the, the net zero, uh, you can't ever go below zero. You can't lose money yep. in them. Right. And that's, that's been very popular with the market going crazy in the last year or two. Yeah. But that's it. I, I did a, a nice talk on the value of using the 21% yeah. bracket in the business development company versus the 37% bracket that most of our yep. clients are in. Yep. And there, for every hundred thousand dollars in there, that rate differential is about eight thousand uh, dollars for the yep. first fifty thousand, and the next fifty is eight, well, sixty thousand dollars for for a hundred thousand dollar deal. So, yep. um, if they can have that intentionally taxed in the business development company, that's going to give a tax benefit of sixteen thousand dollars every year for every hundred grand that goes in there. Yep. But the big, I mean, there's a nice benefit for that, but the big home run is long-term. We're going to take it out all income tax-free because we have a rollout method that we can actually do that. And I did some numbers on that for, I I spoke recently, and I I just assumed putting in Mm $100,000 over a period of um, 10 years. And, of course, the business development company does have to pay that 21% tax before it funds the non-qualified deferred comp. So yeah. right. I think the important thing to, and, and you said this, but to come back to it, most of our clients are in the top tax bracket at 37%. So yeah. if they can pay tax at 21% and then never pay tax on those dollars again, I think that's a pretty incredible strategy. So yeah, I wanted to stop and pause on that because that's, that really matters. And then one other point on the life insurance, like we are not life insurance salesmen. We see life insurance as a tool and yeah. every time we design it, it has high cash value early. So if you're putting the money in, you can get your money out. Mm. The designs that don't have high cash value early usually pay huge commissions to the people yeah. selling them. Yeah. So we, uh, we generally stay away from those, but, uh. It- yeah, that's a great point because um, you have um, also private insurance policies that might be mm-hmm. useful to that because you can design those about any way you want and actually pay very little commission on those. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and especially for the guys uh, like you guys, you're, you're fee-based and heck, you know, you, you can cut whatever deal the client wants to cut and the, right. the, the money is going to be there. But uh, right. they take the money out at the end tax-free mm-hmm. is, is really, really a, a, a benefit. And so the, um, now I did mine analysis was I compared the, uh, I assume that the money outside, you know, if you pay a tax on it, you invest the money, you're going to make a percentage. And I assume the same thing inside the non-qualified deferred comp plan. Mm-hmm. If you use your typical life insurance policy, those numbers may be different. The the, um, the rates of return, you know, rates of return on a policy might, insurance policy might be 5%, yep. whereas you might could get 8% in the stock market. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you do have the challenge of when you do the stock market, you, you're going to pay, even paying capital gains in the stock market, you're going to incur some taxes. But um, the, the non-qualified deferred comp, if, you, if you're under those parameters and not paying the high commissions, mm-hmm. uh, it, it comes out substantially ahead of just investing your money after tax. It's almost double compared to it. And, and you made a point, too, that I want to touch on. We are a fee-based firm, and we offset our clients' fees by any commissions we make. So it's it's not like we're getting paid more money for selling life insurance. So it's uh, from our perspective, we think that's the, the fairest way to to do that. So we don't care at the end of the day if the client takes life insurance or not. Um, we just see it as a, as a tool that's effective for doing exactly what you talked about, tax-free income at the end of the day. So Yeah, that's, I think that's great. 
So oh, 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 I'll, let me continue. One, the other the um, plan that's also not as popular, but it's got a great uh, power of punch to it. If you've got someone with an operating company with a whole bunch of employees and a, and a very high gross income coming into the operating company, and you can justify a marketing fee over into the business development company. Forgive me. I know that's a lot of ifs, but I am an attorney. Mm-hmm. So yep. if, if, yep. if. Then if you got the right situation, you can do a, um, a, a big benefit plan, a qualified plan inside the business development company, a defined benefit plan or, or some, mm-hmm. some plan like that, your cash balance plans. And I'm not an ERISA attorney. I just right. um, uh, like to use good ERISA attorneys and, mm-hmm. and, and turn it over to them for that uh, piece. But still, if you've got a business development company, you've got the ownership uh, structured correctly as we do, you can do those sort of qualified plans inside the business development company and stock away a whole lot of cash inside those just for the benefit benefit of the family. And those are, they're not as popular because they're more complicated to put together. And a lot of people like the non-qualified deferred comp because uh, it's just a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. And we've done a lot of cash balance plans. I love the idea of doing it in the business development corp because uh, a lot of times we'll, we'll have clients that have a 401k plan. They're contributing to the uh, employees. They've got a nice match, all those other things, but they like I don't, I don't need to give my employees any additional benefit, and so uh, moving it outside into the business development corp, where just the family can participate, because we've we've gotten out of that control group situation, is uh, a tremendous benefit, and it allows them to do a plan that they wouldn't have otherwise considered if it was all just in the operating company. So mm-hmm. that's, I think that's a fantastic opportunity to just to, especially if somebody's got. You know, because we've seen clients fund four or five, six hundred thousand dollars tax deferred into a, a cash balance plan uh, yeah. when they're designed right. And they, you know, again, we get actuaries involved and there's age and compensation and all these pieces that need to go into it. But uh, yeah, it can be a, uh, it can be a tremendous tool to defer tax. So you made mm-hmm. an interesting point on, you know, like we, we can't just decide to shove an extra four hundred thousand dollars into the business development entity to to take the cash balance plan. Early on you you talked about like it has to be justifiable. Is that typically done on like a cost plus basis or is there some other formula? How do you go about like mm-hmm. again uh, the importance of being able to defend these strategies? How do you defend that to the IRS like hey this is this is how we came up with that number? Yeah, yeah. mine's pretty old fashioned because I find the best and most supportable and most acceptable is uh, having keep a time record of the client's activities and and the client record. And you know, I'm not talking about the ones you've got to you know so be so detailed, but generally yeah. you can come up with a good a good situation that's uh, defensible, and you figure out the amount of time that the client and client's family spends in the business development company because yeah. when you Look at a lot of uh, profitable companies. A lot of what they're doing is marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause if you don't tell anybody you're the greatest, they may not know that Patrick is the greatest. <laughs> you just got to be telling them. So, uh, that's part of the, you have to kind of pick apart what they're doing for the company. So sometimes in the business development company, it looks like they're doing the same old thing they've been doing for the operating company for years. Mm-hmm. And that's right. We just segregated that into the business development company and, and, and found a way to quantify that for them. Sure. Uh, and, and I found that now some industries have a, a way to make certain items quantifiable that are kind of rules of thumb in their industry. Uh, mm-hmm. But I tend to, I, I'm kind of a detailed person, uh, more of the accountant type, even though yep. I am a tax attorney, I do like having the numbers and be able to put it on my spreadsheet, add it up, you know, take some reasonable assumptions and uh, be able to yeah. justify it in that manner. 
I know there's a lot of strategies we can utilize inside of the the business development corp. Are there any low hanging fruit that you see that are like this is this is one that makes a lot of sense that has real tangible benefit we could talk about? What's interesting, I listened to a webinar on the Inflation Reduction Act, mm-hmm. and I thought it was interesting that the smart tax attorneys that were talking about that all they they spent all their time on solar and energy credits. Mm-hmm. They didn't say a lick about uh, lowering inflation for some reason. And so my point being is that there's a lot of credits and energy credits that are going to be available. And there may be some deals out there. And a lot of these have been around for years and years because uh, the, uh, these credits have been around, but there, there will be some investment uh, for people looking for tax shelter, quite quote mm-hmm. tax shelters, which yep. I've kind of shot away from uh, in the last 10 years or so because, you know, they, they it just kind of came, came be hard. It was hard to justify some of these, especially when the rates went down a little bit. But I think that is going to be an option that some people can look at that they hadn't looked at before. It takes a lot of effort on people like us to figure which deal is a good deal and which deal isn't. But that will be a unique opportunity coming forth out of that legislation. Uh, Low-hanging fruit, it it would... um, of course, the uh, the rental of the dwelling unit to the business is always good if you uh, can support that, justify it, yeah. and follow the rules, do bona fide meetings, and yeah. that sort of thing. And and, you, and it helps to have a, a corporation with employees because that's the mm-hmm. most um, defensible meeting you can get to, and then have a justification for the price, the rental price. Yeah, and that's up to fourteen days a year. And if you can get an appraisal that justifies. A nice amount, uh, and yeah. of course we don't do it unless they 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 agree to get an MAI appraisal, which is mm-hmm. paid for in our. We we believe in it some more. It's paid for in our projects automatically. Uh, yeah. We don't do one without it. Um, so that's low hanging fruit. Um, medical expenses. We had a client that came in, as you know, had some really high medical expenses mm-hmm. every year for one of the children, yeah. one of the four children, yeah. and that was just an easy one because he's he's paying about 30 grand out of his pocket every year. And so he's able to do that. I kind of like the disability insurance. We can, we have Mm -hmm. a way to make that deductible. And that's something that uh, my particular type client really needs because if Mm -hmm. that client goes down and that company is depending upon that person, which is more likely than not, uh, the business is just going to fall apart. And so that disability insurance is really, really a nice thing. And some things that, that some fit and some don't, um, we can look at uh, educational expenses uh, for mm-hmm. the children. Yep. Of course, if they don't have children or they don't pay any educational expenses, yep. that's not going to do them any good. Sure, sure. Um, so those are some, of, and there's some meal plans that we can deduct. Where there's some leniency there. Of course, the deductions for meals have been uh, slashed back to fifty percent once once again. Good old yep. uh, President Trump had that deal where he gave it hundred percent to restaurants, which was mm-hmm. a nice. But we don't have that anymore. But uh, sure. still worth doing. Yep. So we have about three three particular meal plans. People like the meal plans because they. They, they think and they're getting something for nothing in the sense that, hey, I'm eating food and I'm getting a deducted. This is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. No, that is that is good. And and I think the, you know, one of the distinctions about the C corporations is we get to do we get to deduct some medical expenses through there that we don't normally get to deduct through maybe our regular operating entity if it's a S corp or LLC. So that's uh, that's great. You talked about family members. Does it make sense to put family members on the payroll? In, in the business development corp? It does for a couple of reasons. One, it shows that they're bona fide employees of the business development company and entitled to receive employee benefits just like any other employee. Uh, and so whenever you have them 
receive a, a salary. We've never seen on audit where they we've denied that, that they weren't employees or even argue that they weren't employees. We had some older cases where we used to not have the clients pay salaries, and we did have that argument come up from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But um, never lost on it. We just but we just had to get through a couple extra hoops to to get it sure. deducted. Um, there is a, some. Uh, if you're in a 37% tax bracket and mm-hmm. um, and the and the child is in basically is no tax bracket for the first six six thousand to eight thousand bucks now, yeah, uh, that makes sense. You just got to worry about the FICA tax. You got to mm-hmm. factor that in because the uh, the um, the child is going to pay uh, the FICA tax, the 12.3% extra tax on that money, yep. and the um, or the Medicare tax too, because they're not going to be above the limitations. Sure. Um, but you those, but you do come out better by doing those. Um, there are some ways if they've got a rental property that they can actually be paid and not have to pay FICA tax on that. So that's one of the things we'll look for too. One of my favorite things is having um, the children receive a paycheck and fund, fund that into a Roth. All yeah. of a sudden, it's um, you're putting the money into the Roth is not deductible, but there's no income tax on the children because they're it's all sheltered by their deductions. Mm-hmm. So the money is going to grow tax uh, free forever and ever and ever. And, you know, if you've got a two-year-old, forever is a long time. You know, a child's probably going to live to 100 years old. And so, man, that you, you do your calculations on that. We, we've done them. It's, there, it's, it's uh, eye-popping on that. Yeah. And uh, some people just love doing it because it creates an economic base for their children long-term that's always going to be there. I think Einstein has a quote about one of the strongest forces in nature is compound interest. And uh, when we think about starting early on with our kids and that compound interest, you know, that, that curve is just incredible uh, when we get later in life. So uh, that's one of my favorite quotes of Einstein. Another great quote is um, simple and not simpler. (laughs) Yes. uh, Meaning that, you know, keep it simple, stupid. So everybody can, so you can understand it, you know, and and, uh, don't get too complex. I love it. I love it. Well, I think in summary, we can recap our conversation by saying your strategy around the Business Development Corp gives us all sorts of opportunities to have legitimate business expenses, to create some tax deduction, and allows us to just have more money. You know, I, I'm I'm okay paying my my fair share of tax, but I don't want to pay any more than that. So I think you designed a system that does a great job of minimizing that that tax liability, but also I don't know anybody that does it better in regards to like all the I's dotted, T's crossed with uh, making sure the the strategies justified and, and verifiable if the IRS comes looking. So is there any additional points on Business Development Corp we should talk about before we wrap up? Well, I think we've covered the waterfront. Um, the, the overall comment would be is the, the business development company is kind of like a Swiss army knife. Mm-hmm. It does a lot of different things that sometimes that I don't even think about it doing it unless a client has a specific situation that all of a sudden, hey, that fits right now. We can use this thing because we need to make this money go from this tax year to this tax year. Uh, it just gives you a lot of options that are not there. We, we utilize the business development company to with that um, 199A uh, 20% deduction to bunch income in one year and not bunch income in another year because that got them below the level they could, in fact, take that 199A deduction. So uh, they save uh, um, clients like 50000 you know, Yeah, and It's just a nice little little tool to have. Yeah. So, Walt, can you talk a little bit about how the business development corp works 
Do we need a different fiscal year end to be able to shift money from one tax year to the next? Can you talk about that just a little bit? Right. You don't have to use it to, but, but why not? Why not put it in there and have a fiscal year? And the, the CPAs love it because it's anything but a calendar year they're going to love. But uh, we usually use November 30th because that gives you the maximum deferral. So if in 2022 you make a contribution into your business development company, that's going to be deferred all the way until 2023 in November. You have all that, that almost 11 months to spend the money. It's almost 12 months because you can make the payment in December 31st. So you really have, well, you have 11 months to, to utilize the funds and spend it, spend it down. Got it. Very good. Yeah. Cause you, you mentioned that and I wanted to just go back on that topic because it, uh, I think that's a tremendous tool. I don't like, I don't love prepaying year after year because that can create a, a snowball, mm-hmm. especially if a business is growing that can be problematic in the future because we have to continue yep. to find more expenses. But, uh, I think if we're looking to utilize all of our tax strategies, prepay can fit nicely in there. So that's, uh, that's a yeah, good one. I do one. get a comment. It's like, I'll, I'll, we'll be, I'll be talking to this and about the time one of the guys at the table crosses arms and like he used to, you know, do some accounting work. And he said, I will never use a C corporation. I said, mm-hmm. okay, uh, why? Well, you, you said, you're going to pay double tax on it. I'm going, didn't you listen to anything I've been talking about? You don't yes. pay tax. You don't pay dividends to the shareholders except for a small amount. All yeah. the money comes out tax free, right? And and I think that's an important distinction too. We don't want to get too much money in the C corp, right? Like we right. we need all right. of we need business expenses throughout the year. So at the end of the year, we're not sitting on a pile of cash that we'd have to pay the twenty one percent on. Is that is that a fair assessment? Oh, absolutely. So you want to be careful and not accumulate too much money. Um, one of our, um, uh, uh, the guy I was talking about actually does his tax returns on a, on a, um, an accrual basis, mm-hmm. uh, which is nice. I mean, uh, because you don't have to worry about that problem as much because if, uh, it, it alleviates that problem. But most of our clients are on the cash basis. So we do have to pay attention to that. Yeah. Uh, I've never been successful in explaining the difference between cash and accrual to a client. That's one of the detriments of using an accrual basis. Yeah. This client's never going to understand it. I've had, I think, two C corporations that have been on accrual, which I like, mm-hmm. but the clients are like, Tell me about this accrual thing again. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so like simple, not simpler. You yeah. know, sometimes that's just not worth it. Yep. Very good. Anything else, Walt, we should talk about on on business development court before we wrap up? I think we've covered the uh the items we need to cover today. Yeah. Very good. Uh, I appreciate all of your insight today. I'm sure we'll be bringing more clients your direction in the future. And uh, uh you have a great day, okay? All right. Thanks, Patrick. I enjoyed the visit. Thank you for listening to the Vital Strategies Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and help us spread the word by leaving a review with how this information helped you pay less tax and grow your wealth. See the show notes to access the resources mentioned in the episode. The Vital Strategies Podcast is produced by Bright Bell Creative. The music is done by my friend Zephis. You can download his music on Spotify or wherever you like to stream. Research and Copywriting by Victoria O'Brien. If you have any questions, topic suggestions, or if you'd like more information on how we can help you grow your wealth and achieve long-term financial success, visit vitalstrategies.com.